Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. woo Monday, December 12th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay okay. that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. All right, tonight's show, everybody, we have the Power Bloggers here joining us. Emily Cousins, young adult breast cancer survivor. She's a writer and editor and blogger right here on the very own Stupid Cancer blog. And you know who you love her, Carol Rosenthal, former co-host of the Stupid Cancer Show. The young adult thyroid cancer survivor, author of Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s, and a champion blogger of EverythingChangesBook.com. In the Survivor Spotlight, starting us off, young adult fighter of breast cancer and the founder of Pink for Pam, Pam Cromwell. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online all day, every day, 24-7, 365 at StupidCancer.com. We are not... Your father's cancer society, and we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard another fun and exciting romp of the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our wonderful, beautiful studio in downtown Manhattan. As a reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome to our own applause. It's for us. Yes, it is. By us. (laughs) By us and for us. Says us. Hello, Kenny Kane. What's going on? And Reverend Dr. James Manning. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm still waking up. Yes? Your finals this week? 
Uh, that's all screwed up. There is no finals week at school, and all the students are really ticked off, so we're hoping to change that. What Does that mean you don't take finals anymore? No, it means that every professor decides whenever they want to do it, if they want to back it up into a paper they assign, or they want to do it when everybody else is doing it. It's just whatever. That kind of sucks. It's awful. Do they at least give you advance notice that there will be some sort of final-ish-esque experience? Uh, usually they do, but okay. they can change the date at the last minute. Lisa, remember finals? No. School blows, man. Get out to the real world. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm trying about. as hard as I can. Every now and then, I don't know why this is, but every now and then I'll have a dream that I'm in school still, but oh, I'm yeah. 37. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, how am I doing this? Because, you know, you're, you, you realize it's a dream sort of when you're in the dream. I'm like, how do I have homework and kids? Isn't it one of those stress dreams, like you can't pass the test or something like that? Right. Yeah. I had a dream that I was incarcerated the other night, probably after a good night of drinking. Yeah. Wait, well, your birthday is that coming actually, up. That actually days. happened. <laughs> we had to post bail for you. Uh, Dog the bounty hunter. Yes, 25 in 10 days. That's right. That's a, uh, an FML situation. That's a quarter-life crisis waiting to happen. What do I have to show for it? May you live to be 100. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Actually, I like to say that I want a 50% chance to survive for 200 years. <laughs> Do the math on that one, yeah. everybody. <laughs> There's we're, a brain teaser. We are requiring intelligence tonight. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Wait, that's the wrong show. Yeah, I know. Not, yeah. not, a good, not, not good at all. No. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, another story uh, this week broke, a woman faking her own cancer. And you call that? Douchebag alert. Um, so what was the why? Why did she fake her own cancer? What, was the, what was the of reason course, this time? You're asking me if I actually read the article. No, no, I didn't. I just I saw like everyone was posting. I mean, there must have been she was going for some sort of monetary gain. Yeah, let me let me that, pull it up on the. Uh, yeah. Not too hard to find here. Isn't that the, the only reason people do it. <laughs> some people, you know, maybe they do it for the intention. Who knows? Here it is. Woman, Virginia Sympathy. woman arrested. Uh, for allegedly raising money with fake cancer. Yeah, raising money. <laughs> yeah. I heard the director say we can't wrap the movie what? without this shot. Oh, it's a, that was a web ad as I pulled up the story on MSNBC. <laughs> Sorry awesome. about that, folks. <laughs> I thought you would cue some really bizarre movie scene. No, no, no. Like, going to portray I hate, this. I, I, I hate why do websites have auto-playing videos? That is the most obnoxious thing on the Internet. Because they need the money. It's just wrong. I want to be able to until we have Can't one, a person just until we have one on our side. Right, exactly. Wrong until yeah, we do it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so another douchebag alert. She was 42 years old, falsely claiming she had cancer, was arrested uh, in Virginia, and apparently she raised, well, I can't see how much money she raised because if I bring up the page, we'll be hearing some advertisement. Yeah. That is not a sponsor. Anyway. Somebody else who's not a sponsor. Okay. And um, I we don't get political here on the show, but every now and then, regardless of who says something really, really stupid, every now and then you do. No, we don't. We're not endorsing no. anybody. We're not necessarily like taking a Just political Herman side. Cain. Well, Herman Cain was a tool, but that relevant. He could have <laughs> no, been a Democrat. He was still a tool. Um, but the Rick Perry ad has gone viral. The one where he's yeah. wearing like the the gay jacket from Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Is that redundant? <laughs> no, no, well, no. I mean, like it's it's ironic because they compared it to the to the Heath Ledger, is it the guy? Yeah, the Heath Ledger, the movie poster of Brokeback Mountain. He's wearing the exact same jacket. It is very Brokeback Mountain. That Heath Ledger is yeah. wearing mm-hmm. in his in his I hate gay people um, random YouTube video, but that it got like did, yeah. a million 
like five or six million hits and like inspired like dozens of web parodies. Well, what he was saying was he was saying that he's proud to be a Christian and he thinks that there should be prayer in school and he's trying to compare that with, well, now gays can be open in the military and so why can't I have prayer in school is generally the gist of it. So lots of folks out there took some issue with that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like saying, you know, uh, we live in a... It's troubled times when I can't crack an egg uh, on the first shot but yet, at the same time, I can drive a car that takes lead of gasoline. Right. <laughs> Two completely <laughs> irrelevant yeah. and ridiculous things mm-hmm. to say yeah. in the same sentence. Yeah, but that did. So there were so many parodies of it. One of them, uh, one of my favorites, I think a good friend of the show, Donna Trussell, who's Donna, been here. Donna, yes. She had a still photograph where uh, they somebody superimposed Tinky Winky from the Teletubbies. Oh, really? The quote-unquote gay Teletubby yeah, yeah. is in the background of, of, the, of, the, of the Rick Perry ad. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. There's one where they south-parked it. What that means is they basically replaced his head with a butt, and every time he talked, it was just a fart. <laughs> so it was like 20 seconds of just farting. It's great. All right. What a great country. Yeah. All right, what else do we have to talk about, Matthew? I'm done. We have one minute. Um, how was your week? We should we play some music, musical interlude? <laughs> uh, my week is, uh, I, I can't, you know, I can remember about ten minutes ago, and that's about it. Excellent. What do you do between Mondays? Between Mondays? Yes. She lives in the forest. I roam yeah. around, yeah. <laughs> Stack wood, build a fire in the wood-burning stove. Right. Um, I write. Well, you know, I'm mean, known to do some writing in your live journal and some other work. <laughs> live yeah. journal, captain's log. Oh God! <laughs> on your, um... I do some work from my journalist world. She has a GeoCity, and then website. I do yeah. laundry, and I go to Home Depot. You have a dog too, right? I do. I have a fabulous dog. I've actually been to the vet a lot. Our dog, our beautiful golden retriever Dolly, she's had a few issues, but she's on the mend, not good. Oh, Dolly. I've been to the vet a lot, a lot. Well, before hoping we... I'm in the we're. Weaning off the vet. <laughs> He's a dealer. Yeah, yeah. He's a dealer. Um, all right, well, I guess we'll bring up Pam in a second, but I, I did want to say uh, it is officially the holiday season. We will be uh, jibed or jibbed or jabbed for not saying Christmas season. It's a holiday season. The holiday season. But I will play just 20 seconds of the song because it is my wife's favorite song of the season. Excellent. But what is it? Oh, well, this song is not authorized to play on this computer. Damn you, iTunes! Play my favorite song of the season, which is Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis. I have to pull that up. It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken and collard greens. Oh, boy. Come on. You can't do much better than that. I need advance notice. Yeah. Curse we'll digital, digital music rights. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it next week. Epic fail. All Epic right, fail. should we get to our guest? Let's get to our first guest. <laughs> Pamela Cromwell is currently a business analyst and has been working in tech for over 10 years. Uh, she is both CEO and founder of her nonprofit, Pink for Pam. Her vision is to paint a new picture of cancer by educating the world that there is a difference between being a survivor and being a fighter. In addition to helping people channel their energy towards living normal, full lives by keeping in mind, body, and spirit as healthy as possible, recently she has been featured on both Fox and CBS News and a featured article within the Tribune. Lastly, in 2006, uh, she was named by one of... What happened there? I, my brain just... Uh, uh, <laughs> the beef is a butthead moment. <laughs> then she was awarded... Uh, 
I just had a moment. Uh, she was named one of Kiss FM's phenomenal women for her work in breast cancer awareness. And young women, please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Pam Cromwell. Pam. Hi, Pam. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, and yourself? Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Yay. <laughs> you were calling in from far away, Jersey, right? That's right. Whereabouts in Jersey are you? I am on the border of Pennsylvania, so it's called Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Oh, that that actually is kind of far away. <laughs> I mean, it was like Newark. It'd be like, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, or like Hoboken or something. Yeah, she's out in the boonies of Jersey. Yeah, she puts you she's to nice shame. She the does. The grass is actually green. Do you have like a... All right, well, this well, compare you to Lisa... Uh, when it rains, does your entire town lose power? <laughs> okay, we only lost power twice. <laughs> okay. Well, when somebody sneezes in my town, we lose power. <laughs> yeah. The entire town's generator is one big gerbil. <laughs> right. All right, let's get down to business. Matthew? Yes. You know Pam. I do. Um, I know Pam through the Internet. <laughs> she reached out to me on Facebook with a great story and, like, let's get you on the show. Tell us about Pink for Pam. Yes. Pink for Pam. So basically, um, five years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, um, and I actually don't like the color pink. So my friends thought it would be funny to create a Facebook group um, just to kind of support me. So what they were doing is they put pictures and they put some really great ideas and thoughts up there, and then they kind of made it like a surprise here's this Facebook group of everyone who kind of had put their their hearts out for me and just to start supporting me. So um, the name Pink for Pam just kind of stuck and I can't get rid of it. Now, I want to hear your story because I understand it's quite interesting. Uh, how were you diagnosed first? What were your symptoms? Um, I didn't really have any symptoms. I found a lump one day when I was taking a shower. I wasn't doing an exam. It wasn't anything noble. Um, I found a lump. And I decided to go to the doctor. Um, breast cancer doesn't run in my family, but um, I thought maybe it was a cyst. So I went. The doctor thought it was a cyst. And, you know, we just kept going into this, like, ring around the rosy type thing. It actually took them six months to officially diagnose me with cancer, um, mainly because I was 29. And um, they just weren't giving me the test that they should have given me right off the bat. So you weren't taken seriously? Nope, not at all. <laughs> We've heard that story before all too many times. But it sounds like you are inherently your own advocate, so you fought for this, and eventually they caved in and actually took you seriously. Yeah, yeah, it took a while, and honestly, the, the first doctor I went to, um, he once he told me, which was by a call on my cell phone while I was at work, he told me I had six months to live. So my best Isn't friend... Isn't that just the luck? <laughs> it was it was special. Um, it was really <laughs> special. Um, my brother, um, my best friend, her husband, they were there, and the one thing that they told me was that I was never allowed to go back to him because he's already given up on me. And wow. so from there we went to a different doctor, and that kind of changed the game. So here I am five years later, still around. So been fun to prove him wrong, huh? It was really fun to prove him wrong. <laughs> so how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 29, six months before I turned 30. Oh. Happy birthday. That's the same yeah, as me. Hey, I was you about know what? Six... That's great because my birthday's on this Friday, so. Woo-hoo. Oh. I was 29 also breast cancer, about six weeks before th- turning 30. But... Oof, oof, oof. Yeah. yeah. Um, happy birthday to us. Yeah, happy birthday yeah, right? indeed. Woo-hoo. <laughs> so 
So um, what were you doing at the time when you were like, we had a job, you were living on your own, you were married? What was your, your, your I life? I am single, ready to mingle. Um, I was and um, work, I still worked. I never stopped working, even though work didn't necessarily want me to be there. I still decided to stay there. Um, just living a normal life, I would say. I was just trying to just get ready for the 30s, and it kind of boom hit. So, and when it hit, I mean, it hit hard. I'm I'm stage four. So I've been stage four for the last three years out of the five years dealing with cancer. It basically kind of treats me like it's a stalker and doesn't want to get let go of me. But um, That's a good way to put it. It's <laughs> just the only thing I can think of that works to kind of make sense of this. But, you know, I'm still doing what I need to do. And the whole thing with Pink for Pam was I felt like there was a gap and how I was treated, I didn't think it would be so hard to get not just doctors to take me seriously, but other some of the other cancer foundations and agencies out there. It was really rough. I don't, I don't think people get that being young and having cancer, the world's just not ready for that yet. Um, so nothing that was given to me was was working in the typical way. So everything I did was kind of like round the about. I, no, no, none of the resources I used I want to say were typical. So, you know, because of everything I went through and still going through, I felt like all the resources that, you know, I was able to utilize, I want to make sure that they're available for the next person. Um, I just still feel like people don't get that the face of cancer has changed. You don't have to look like you're sick just to have to be a cancer patient. Um, you know, and I don't want to be considered a survivor, no offense to any survivors, but I'm a fighter. I'm still dealing with it. I think the whole stigma of being a survivor, people think, oh, you're done. You're great. You're in good, you're, you're in good shape. Right. No, I'm not. I'm you're still, still battling. <laughs> yeah. But so you don't have us, to see me cry every day to know that I'm still fighting. Tell us about that, Pam. Talk us through, you said, and what you're still going through. What are you currently still going through? Well, I mean, so two years ago, basically because of the way the job situation was going, I felt it might be a pretty good idea to go ahead and utilize my insurance and get um, my second mastectomy because I only had one at the first time. So through that, they found the cancer had come back just as aggressive. And so you, did, you decided to, to sorry, pardon the interruption, mm-hmm. you decided to do this prophylactically or had you had a, a diagnosis in the other breast? No, there was no diagnosis in the second breast, only in the first. And I had had that removed and I just, my, my surgeon was really honest with me. Um, she's only actually a couple years older than me and she was very focused. She always told me it was never a matter of if the cancer came back. It was always about when it comes back. So that thought stayed in my head, and so, you know, I'm not married, so I don't have anyone else's insurance to use, so I had to be smart. So while I was at work, I decided to go for the surgery, get it done. After surgery, they found out the cancer actually had come back. They just didn't find it in any of the tests. Wow. Um, Yeah, good times. And um, (laughs) so, and it actually had moved to my bones. So I am, like I said, I'm stage four. It has metastasized, and, you know, on paper, it doesn't look really nice. Um, I've gotten to the point of not asking my doctor every time I go, is it gone yet? Um, yeah. I think I've annoyed her too much. No, and honestly, she was really straight up with me, and she basically was like, listen, this cancer is very aggressive. We don't know why. We don't know how it started, and we don't know why it doesn't want to go away. 
we know every time they try to, you know, hold back a little bit in treatment, the cancer becomes more aggressive again. So, so when you had the when you had the second mastectomy and then they found that it had spread to the other breast, mm-hmm. did you then go for? Did they already suspect that it was going to be that aggressive into your no. bones? Did you then go for the bone scan? It was after that surgery that they realized. Um, it was after that surgery. I actually decided to change doctors um, because I felt like the first time I went through it a little blindly, like you know, you are the doctor. I listen to everything you say um, instead of being a little bit more empowered. Um, I think after the first doctor telling me I was going to die, I kind of just took the second doctor like, oh, everything they say is gold. Um, So I don't think I asked the correct questions and honestly didn't know what to ask. So I basically felt like I did everything they told me to do as far as chemo, radiation, the mastectomy, and it came back. So at that point, I'm like, I got to do something different. So I decided to change it up. I got a different doctor um, in a beautiful place, the Cancer Treatment Center of America in Philadelphia, and they were the ones to do the more um, invasive exams, and they were the ones to find out that the cancer had not just come back, but it had metastasized. So how is your quality of life now? Are you on any other drugs or treatments at the moment? Yeah, I actually go to treatment um, once a month. Um, Every three months I have to get a bone scan and PET scan, but once a month I'm in treatment, um, and the treatment, honestly, is actually a lot better than it was when I was going through um, chemo. Um, They have me on more of a uh, hormone treatment right now because they basically looked at and saw what I had gone through. Like, you know, one thing with chemo, you can't hide it. You can't even, the scars are there. Every, the mark has been left on me. And they didn't want me to have to keep going through that. I think they really were trying to help me get through this with some dignity. So, the treatment that I go through, I actually feel a lot better. I kickbox against my doctor's orders. Nice. Um, I do all sorts of things that I probably shouldn't do as a typical person, but I've found and my doctors have found that um, it's almost like playing a Jedi mind trick on yourself. you got to fake it to make it, and so far it's working for me. That's great. So they don't want you to kickbox because it, <laughs> because of fragility in your bones, presumably. Yeah, but I yeah. but you know what? I had done my own research, and I I I've personally found like even with lymphedema, you know, they say you have to kind of nurse your arm and, and nurse your body, and I agree. And I, I'm not saying for everyone to to do the same things that I do, but I have to say that I was always an active person prior to this. You know, I was playing soccer for uh, my team for for my old job and. You know, having to just kind of go drastically and not do anything, I think that was actually making me worse so t- because just battle's mental. Yeah, just just quickly for folks who are listening who may be in similar circumstances, what what are your hormonal treatments and how are you? How is your body? You sort of say, it seems like your body is okay with that in terms of side effects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's taking it. I mean, so basically with my treatments. Um, I get a special shot that actually shuts down my ovaries because I am estrogen receptive. Um, So it's almost as if I was, my body was feeding um, the cancer. So they they give me that shot, and then in addition, I take. Is that a loop? Which which one is it? Because there's a Um, few. I do the Lupron. You do Lupron, I was gonna say. Oh yeah. So you do Lupron. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I take um, a Zometa infusion, which is actually only about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I do a shot called Falzodex, which is not nice, but yeah. at least it's not a pill every day, yeah. so I can't complain. Yeah. And like I said, when you've gone through the world of chemo, because I was actually part of a medical study, so it was actually 
even more aggressive than what a typical treatment would be. So knowing what happened with chemo, which was not a very pretty picture, I mean, I, it turned out I was allergic to one of the drugs. Oh, so that's not fun. At one point I was having seizures because the treatment was so intense. Um, so coming from that and going yeah. to this, I definitely, is a world of difference. Yeah, seizures. <laughs> Pam, let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, we we love to make fun of cancer on the show, obviously, and you've, you you listen to the show, and we uh, humor is a big issue for us, but also satire is a, 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 is a big thing for us. Every October, we dedicate the show to what we call pink nausea, um, <laughs> which is the onset of how the country draped itself in materialism and bureaucracy. Um, I, I I can't help but point out that you called yourself pink for Pam, but what do you feel your association to the color pink is, and do you think it's been abused? And are you associated with any, you know, pinkification that's going on, or are you just one of the people that, like, you just love it for yourself, it's personal, and screw everything else because that's all crap anyway? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have to say I, I um, definitely, as I stated before, pink was never my color to begin with. Um so having breast cancer is actually just a cruel joke. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I'd have to say, so the whole foundation thing is not a direction I was originally planning on going, first off. There's a lot of people out there. I No need to reinvent the wheel. The problem is those foundations out there, and I'm sorry if this sounds a little political, if, they, if I as a patient don't feel like they've done me any benefit in the last five years of being treated, God forbid, how about the people who aren't quiet? I mean, I am yeah. known to be a little bit of a mouse, so I can stand up for myself. I'm, I'm not afraid to back down, but what about the others um, who don't have that chance or that knowledge of where to ask questions? I had a friend who works in American Cancer Society at the time of me being diagnosed, so she was able to give me more of the inside advantage um, since then she no longer works for them. But my point is, is I've been really disappointed by a lot of the pink um, out there. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I still kind of have to go under the umbrella because that's how people first identify. That's but a good point, they, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but once they start understanding and hearing, then I can talk about it because, number one, I can't just say I have breast cancer. I also have bone cancer, right? So it's not about what type of cancer. It's It's sad that only one particular cancer gets the most kind of thought about. We either think of leukemia or we think of breast cancer, where there's so many other types out there. Um, well, you sound like you're you sound like you're 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 so, something fierce the way you're talking. <laughs> I mean, which is I'm which is great, and you're right. You have to be. And you think about the people who don't. You know, it's difficult. It's difficult to stand up to your doctor. It's difficult to stand up to anybody that you're dealing with in the medical community. Um, and it's hard to stand up, especially if you don't know what to stand up about. Exactly. Either. You don't know what questions to ask. No, nope. you don't even know where to begin. No, but you're you're at, you're at work every day. You're a business analyst. You were working in technology, so you're you're back at work and going to work every day. Yeah, I never stopped work. I mean, the longest period of time I stopped was literally two months, and that was for surgery. Other than that, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> That's well. <laughs> even with the be best said, insurance, you got to pay the bills. <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that. So, what do you do exactly, Pam? Um, so I work for a medical healthcare technology company, and oh. we create software for nursing homes and assisted living, and it's been a great experience. Oh, that's terrific! Very cool. She's yeah. fighting it on all fronts. 
I'm a geek girl. I'm proud of it. <laughs> well, there's geek boys here. You you guys can all geek out with your exactly. computers, exactly. computers together when you come uh, to New York or see it. She's going to come visit us. She's going to come yes, visit I us this week. I want to. I want to yeah. come for breakfast. Yeah, we'll nerd out yeah. over brunch. We'll nerd, we yeah. will nerd out over brunch. I, however, yeah. will have to be nowhere in sight. Oh. Only not because I don't have, want to meet you, but I don't qualify. She has to feed the hamster <laughs> that runs her town's electricity. Right. In the woods where I live. Yeah. No, I'm I'm not quite at the geek level. I'm not part of the geek squad in terms of knowing the techie stuff. It's well, all good in the hood. So, <laughs> very nice. So, Pam, we're almost out of time, but I have a question for you. How do you get your, your press? I mean, you were on Fox and CBS <laughs> and the Kiss FM stuff. That's pretty amazing you know, uh, credentials there. How'd that happen? Well, okay, so the Kiss of Thumb started because of the fact that, unfortunately, when you're young or you look young, everyone, once they get what you're going through, they want to make you the poster child. So they kind of, um, the American Cancer Society um, was having something a couple years back, and they thought it would be great, which is kind of true because I like the idea of the shock therapy where people have no idea and then I tell them their mouths just drop. I think that kind of speaks volumes sometimes than some of the other big things that some of the other agencies are doing. As far as the Fox and everything, so the movie Fifty Fifty came out um, a couple months back, and there was a focus group being done by my hospital, and they asked if I was interested. I said, of course, um, a chance to talk. Um, and from there, it was kind of like, I guess, people saw, and it just kind of spinned and and. It's just been rolling, and I've been rolling with it. You know, any chance to kind of, you know. Get the word out, yeah. Yeah, get the word out, let people see that anyone can get it. It does not run in my family. My mom's from a family of 14. My dad's from a family of 10. Whoa. I am the first one with breast cancer. Congratulations. Yay. (laughs) Yay, you. There's a T-shirt for that somewhere out there. (laughs) I'm sure there's a T-shirt for everything, apparently. (laughs) All right, Pam. Well, we've got to wrap. Terrific having you on the show. Thank Come you. to New York and geek out with these guys. <laughs> Get super Yay. tech with them. And uh, you're you're doing great by getting out there. She's getting busy living. She is. <laughs> Very Thank nice. Thank you. Pam, you're a rock star. Thanks so much for uh, Thanks, trying, Pam. calling in tonight. Take care. Thank you. Pam Cromwell, everyone. Good stuff. Now it's time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, uh, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. They're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. We're talking about things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking, mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. All right, the place to go, everybody, events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop. I feel like I say this a lot. Maybe we should change the wording of this the next show, Matthew. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods. We don't want you missing out. KK, what's going on? So Thursday night we have a We Spark Young Adult Group meetup in L.A., uh, Thursday, December 22nd, they will be drinking in Baltimore in honor of my 25th birthday. Woo! Uh, and then finally, Wednesday, December 28th, closing out the year in Boston with a stupid cancer happy hour. Very nice. 
We've had like a hundred events this year. Yeah, it's off a lot of events. It's amazing. A lot of, a lot the of LA contingent, they they go strong out there. They do. They yeah. do. They do. They do. All they right. What about these. the what about the forums? These Matt? stupid cancer forums have exploded to over fourteen hundred and fifty members. That's good. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, parents, patients, and caregivers just like Voo. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Set up with one click today through Facebook. Ooh la la. Sorry, what was that word? <laughs> Uh, The Stupid Cancer Team Stupid Cancer Marathon. We've got about 20 slots. Team Stupid Cancer, the running team of the New York City Half Marathon. Got feet? With our crew, feet are optional. Guaranteed entry. Low fundraising minimums to help young adults fight stupid cancer. I'm on the fence. KK's doing you, it. You have to do it. There's nothing like running Lisa, through Times Square. Lisa, Lisa. I cannot run 13 miles. I will die. Oh, I made it. I'm not, I'm not going to say that I made it the whole way. I made it pretty far. 11 miles before. I can crawl 13 miles. Yeah. <laughs> I'll carry you. That's about it. Nice. All right. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com for information to register. And finally, it has been one month. Since registration opened for the 5th Annual OMG Cancer Summit, and 280 people have registered so far. Outstanding. Outstanding. We have 18 exhibitors and 12 sponsors and all the speakers. It's going to be... We've got Will Reiser, folks. Will Reiser from 5050. We've got Wendell Potter, who's on our show next week as their closing keynote. Um, Insurance company whistleblower. Join more than 500 of your fellow young adult survivors at the Palms Casino Resort next March at what we are calling the most highly anticipated event of next year. Uh, check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting way to uh, challenge yourself to raise some money where you can earn up to 600 bucks in travel reimbursement and even a brand new iPad. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. All right. You know what? I'm Someone's gonna... giggling on the line already. Yeah, really? I heard a giggler. I don't know who that is. I have no mm. idea. Maybe it's Emily. Uh, I like this. I'm gonna put away a little. Uh... I, I can't. I can't. I can't name that tune yet. This is our guest. Okay. Oh, from last week. Yeah, you threw me yeah. Emily Cousins. She's a writer and editor who was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 32 and nine months pregnant with her first child. She's currently writing a book about what it's like for young survivors once cancer treatment is over. When the radiation burns have healed and the hair has started to come back, but everything else is completely out of whack. After almost a decade of living in New York City, Cousins now resides in northern Arizona with her husband, son, and the daughter she was lucky to have post-chemo. Welcome back. Returning champion to the Stupid Cancer Show, Emily Cousins. Emily. Hi there. How are you, Emily? Good. How are you? We're great. I have to uh, comment that you left my fair city and you abandoned us. I did. I left it behind, but you know, I even left behind Northern Arizona, so don't take it personally. Oh, I was, the, the yeah. Navajo Fabulous. We have a dated bio. She's Matthew. In, what, what can it I say? It was recent. It was recent. When did when when was it and where did you go? You moved to Seattle. You went to Southern Arizona. I moved Arizona. to Seattle a few months ago. Oh, Seattle. And I, I'm after a, that yeah. nice dry climate in Arizona, you went to the rainy region. I did. I just I I couldn't stand the sunshine anymore. She was creating her own seasons. She was all dried out. <laughs> she needed she needed moisture. <laughs> exactly. She sought moisture. Uh, well, so tell us. You've been on the show obviously before and. But tell for first-time listeners, breast cancer at 32, nine months pregnant. 
with your first child. Yeah. It was a shocker. There's no doubt. My I was getting a, you know, regular checkup with my midwife and she felt a lump and she said, "You know, I'm sure it's nothing, but I never take this for granted, so you should get it checked out." And I'm so grateful she did because lo and behold, it was breast cancer. Um, and it would have been so easy for her to just say, "Oh, go ahead and nurse for a year and we'll look into that later." Right. At which point, you know, would have been a lot bigger. So, um, I got diagnosed with breast cancer, had my son the next week. Wow. Had a lumpectomy a few weeks later, and then, you know, did chemo and radiation. Well, I guess in a so, sense it was sort of a blessing. I mean, you were only a week away from giving birth. That's uh, true. In it's terms true. of the and timing of the pregnancy, was, that is. Yes, and my son was completely healthy and was a total blessing. Wow. And uh, we were both bald in all the baby pictures. Amen. <laughs> 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 So you, so as you said, you said a, uh, a week later he was born, and then I'm sorry, how soon? Pretty soon after that, you started with the treatments. Yeah, about two weeks later, I had a lumpectomy, and then you know had about eight months of you know chemo, radiation. I right. think it was about eight months when I finished treatment. And this was how long and ago at this point? Nine years. Nice. Yes, very nice. Very Gets nice. sweeter every year. It does. It does, absolutely. Time really does help. One of my favorite things about Emily is that she's really like, she's this quiet but yet no-nonsense, you never want to piss her off kind of person. Silent but deadly. (laughs) Yes. And you are just a brilliant writer who who preaches and and tells it like it is. You know, I... we were going to do the show tonight on a different topic, but she's going to come back in March on that other topic, which is related to tonight because it's all about how what happens after cancer. How do you make sense of this? And I mean, in Pam's case, she's living with this cancer. In Allie Ward's case, she's been off treatment for two and a half years and still here. Cancer doesn't. Allie Ward being one of Allie, our regular sorry, I two wires and um, you know when the doctor says you're cured, go home. That's not the end of the story. Um, you you live this every day, and even nine years later, there are issues that come up, and you are very astute in the way you you spin them and point them out through your writings and your blog posts. But can you just talk to us a little about, you know, what what Pam did touch on, which is the stigma, where people seem to not quite understand that it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> oh, definitely. You know, and I I think that you know one of the reasons I started writing about it is to create a sense of community because I think that one of the thing everyone listening can probably relate to the fact that getting cancer as a young person is an isolating experience, and so people don't always know how to relate to you. You know, I felt isolated in the cancer world because I was always the youngest person in the waiting room. But, you know, I'd also feel isolated among my friends who would be like, oh, but your hair's grown back. You know, aren't you better? Aren't you over that already? But it was still challenging because every time a scan comes around, I still get frightened. And, you know, there have been plenty of biopsy scares along the way to to make me realize that I can still be just one test result away from really serious illness. Um, and, you know, just things come up. Like when my husband and I were trying to decide whether we should have a second child, it wasn't just like, oh, well, um, you know, do we have enough money saved in the bank? Or, you know, is our other child at the right age? It's like, well, if I get sick again, can he raise two kids by himself? You know, that was the yeah. kind of question we had to ask. Or, you know, because breast cancer is a hormone-sensitive disease, will getting pregnant again be a really serious risk factor for me? You were ER positive? Estrogen receptive positive? I was not. Not, okay. Okay. Um, And we did a lot of research 
to make sure that that was okay to go ahead and get pregnant. But that wasn't the kind of question my other friends were considering when they were getting going about their second pregnancies. So, you know, I think it's surprising to a lot of people to know that it is the gift that keeps on going. And I started writing about it to just to reflect that reality back to other survivors, yeah. you know, and just to create a sense of community and remind people they're not alone. Let's let's explore that because, after all, the show, the topic of tonight is about blogging. I'm a writer myself, a journalist, and I've written both publicly and privately about my own cancer experience. And many times it's been excruciatingly painful for me um, where I find myself in tears even years out having to go back and relive this. How has that been for you and for people out there who want to write or who want to blog about their experience? After that, talk to us about some tips or things that have worked for you or haven't worked for you. No, that's a really good point about, you know, like how writing about it can really bring it back and make it fresh, and that can be painful. And, you know, when I finished treatment, you know, I thought, well, I'm a writer. I should probably write about this. But I felt so strongly then I didn't want to spend a lot of mental space in treatment. I did not want to revisit treatment. I did not really want to linger over the diagnosis and all that. Totally understand that, yeah. So I just thought, I'll put that behind me. I'm not going to write about that. But as I realized that cancer was still influencing my life, I thought, now, this I want to write about because this is present and this is ongoing. And it's painful, but it, it was worth writing helped me understand it. That doesn't. There are still times when I write, um, and I, I will get tears in my eyes. Reliving something or feeling something really powerfully usually has to do with my kids. That's the, that's the you know, every parent knows that's the total tearjerker yeah. um, topic. But I, you know, so it can be painful. But for me, I, I guess I, I write the things that are I'm struggling with or trying to figure out right now in my life, and it's useful to write about them rather than painful. Now, some of the posts that Emily sort of simulcasts on our blog, which we've a, put in the chat room, uh, when cancer URL, steals yeah. or pro- postpones your dreams, um, life after treatment can be almost as hard as the chemo. Um, the fear of recurrence, cancer's evil twin, cancer frenemies when good friends say bad things. And her most recent one is called This is What It Means to Be Alive, Feeling Thankful After Cancer, which uh, we posted on her behalf uh, during Thanksgiving. They're very insightful. They're very intellectually uh, constructed. And, you know, this is tonight's about content. How do we take what we – and it's one thing to just have a Tumblr – for yourself and have funny things on there, but what you write is relevant to anyone that wants to read it and everyone should be made aware of it. You know, where do you come up with the, uh, where do you summon sort of the, the the power, the energy, you know, within whatever bitterness or that you may or may not have anymore in terms of reconciling, coming up with 10 years now? It, it never really goes away, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, I come up with some of the... Uh, ideas I get are because, um, you know, in the process of trying to build community and writing about this topic, I've talked and interviewed to a, a lot of survivors. And when I've seen a lot of common themes out there of things that people in their 20s and 30s are dealing with after treatment ends. And those are the topics I, I try to write about and reflect, whether it's about, you know, parenting or dating or body image or dealing with scan the fears around scan time, 
I try to write about things that I think will strike a chord in others that are kind of universal to the experience, whether you've had breast cancer or testicular cancer or thyroid cancer or lymphoma, that there is a lot of common ground. And that's what I try to do with my blogs, but I think, you know, there's so many ways to approach this material. And I think if if other folks are interested in blogging, you know, I think one of the things that can be helpful is, you're right, it's so easy to blog now, which is so terrific, and a lot of people use it as a tool to keep their friends and family up to date during treatment and, you know, sort of a, a notification tool, and that's really useful, but if you're trying to reach a larger audience, I, I think you have to narrow down your blog a little bit and maybe choose a theme. And for me, my theme was life after cancer, life after treatment. What's it like to pick up the pieces afterward? And that's what I focus on. So hopefully people who are in that position can relate. So the book that you're working on now, is that has, has a similar theme in terms of everybody that you're interviewing? Anecdotes yes. in terms of what's the most important thing that's struck them in, in terms of getting on with their life after cancer? That's right. And, and you know, what's it like to, you know, it, to deal with these things in a couple of years after you've been treated and you're still trying to put your life together again? What's particularly struck you? Is there, is there one or two stories that kind of really stand out for you in terms of the folks you've interviewed? Oh, sure, there's so many stories, and a lot of them appear in the blog. I think what stands out to me is is a combination of things. One is cancer continues to be, play a part in survivors' lives, but it's not the same role. You know, it changes over time, and, you know, that's good because in, right after treatment, it can feel terrifying, and, and the fear is so present, and, um, you know, it, it takes up a big part of your brain space. But as time goes on, you know, you don't remain stuck in that position. You know, you might get have a, a bad test result and be thrown back into that position within an instant, but I think what I have found heartening and inspiring as I've talked to people is that you you grow and you you readjust and you put your life back together in really creative ways. And so um, I think what I've, I've really taken the lesson that, you know, you don't have to stop, be stuck in one place. Are there? Go ahead, Matthew. I was going to say, are, are there any um, like topical issues that come up repeatedly that you you want to touch upon? Like, has the healthcare issue come up, or are people still feeling angry? Or what do you tell people? A lot of questions. So what do you what do you tell people to say? Well, I can't write, or I can't blog, or I'm not a techie person. Right. Well, I'd say what topics come up a lot is the sense of isolation. You know, oh, my friends just didn't understand, or my husband didn't know understand why it was still hard for me, or my parents didn't get it. That is a really common theme among the people I talk to. Um, and in terms of like, well, what, I'm not a natural writer, I'm not a techie person. Well, blogging is, you know, blogging software is so easy to use. I would totally not be a member of that brunch that you're about to have. I I could not join in the geek talk at all, but I can blog. It's it's really is easy to do. I think more important than the tech stuff and figuring out how to blog is figuring out what you want to write. And like I said before, I think to make a a, a blog that will reach more people or really connect to the people you want to move, you have to choose a theme, whether it's like blog about your type of rare cancer or blog about 
cancer and parenting or blog about cancer and the single girl, something that will make others identify with you and know that, oh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. I want to return to this. I know that they're going to write about this again, and I'll come back and circle back and read it again. And for me, it's about life after cancer. That's what I blog about. Um, I'm not blogging about those initial weeks when you're a deer in the headlights. I'm trying to blog about, you know, life afterward. Um, so, you know, That's, the people who've just gotten diagnosed, they'll find blogs about that. I know they're out there. Um, but I think you could kind of have to identify your blog. Or I think theme. that's a good point. I mean, everybody's in a different place in their lives. You're nine years out. This is what you're living and dealing with right now. It makes sense to, to write about it. And do you promote it, or do you just find that people find you who are in a similar situation? I do promote it, certainly on Facebook. And, you know, the wonderful Kenny Kane helps with that as well. Um, I do what I can. And, and, you know, there are other tips. You know, I promote it as well, doing some of the sort of standard things you can do. I think if, you know, one of the tips for getting your blog out is to comment on other bloggers and, you know, make yourself a presence in the blogosphere on the topic you're interested in. And then people start linking to you and you link to them. And it's Very all reciprocal. One, you yeah. linking community. Yeah. And what's the name of the book, Emily? Back from Cancerland. Ooh, I like it. All right. Well, thanks. Well, Emily Cousins, always good to have you on the show. Well, great. It's great to be here. And Emily is going to be at OMG. She's going to be at OMG. And on the show March 5th, again. Yes. Many We've got a lot of Emily. It's Emily Cousins. <laughs> Emily all over. Emily all over. Well, give my love to the Seattle crew. Thanks again for coming I on will. the show. And you are always and forever a rock star. Well, thank you. Thanks all a lot, right. guys. All right, take Bye-bye. care. Emily Cousins, everyone. Bye, Emily. Bye. And I feel like we should like bring up the Zarathustra song from 2001 to introduce Carol. <laughs> it's so epic to have her back on the show. Go for it. But I don't have that. No. <laughs> At all. Right. Thank you for the tease. iTunes and uh, cultural relevancy will not allow him <laughs> to play that song. Exactly. Um, so I'll, I'll rickroll her because why not, you know? You've got 180 degrees in the opposite direction. From, from uh, Zarathustra? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Nothing's changed. All right. Actually, everything changes. I was going to say, everything, <laughs> everything changes. Carol Roosevelt is a healthcare writer, blogger, patient diagnosed with thyroid cancer at 27 years old. Her book, her acclaimed book, Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in the 20s and 30s, which I'm in, is the culmination of her five years of research with patients and healthcare professionals in the young adult cancer community. An expert, and she is indeed an expert, on young adult cancer. She has been interviewed by the New York Times, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, which was an amazing interview, Newsweek, BBC Radio, and others. As a national spokesperson, she has collaborated with organizations such as Planet Cancer, Gilded Club, and yours truly here at I'm Too Young with the Cancer Foundation. Her essays on cancer have been appeared on radio and in numerous books. Prolific blogger, her site everythingchangesbook.com is a destination for candid conversations among cancer patients. And most importantly, she is the first and former co-host of the Stupid Cancer Show right here. You know where you love her, says Lisa. Carol Rosendahl. Welcome, Carol. Hello, Matthew and Lisa. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. <laughs> Do I miss that? No offense, Lisa. None taken. None taken. I'll take the offense. <laughs> Carol, 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 how the hell are you? 
I'm doing great. It's really fun to be on here as a guest on the show. Thanks for having me. It's like homecoming. Yeah, it is, just without, like, the bad dress or the stress. Exactly, exactly, yeah. or the bad hairspray and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. How's life in Chicago? Life in Chicago is cold and busy. Well, you could technically, you know, have moved from New York to Phoenix to Seattle. I think cold and busy, though, pretty much always is what Chicago <laughs> is, right? Yeah. It's never not cold and not busy. There, it's exactly. true, it's true. I kind exactly. Exactly. Oh, that. So, um, what have you been up to? You continue to blog. I am a an addict on your website. I'll read all your blog posts. Um, uh, you have uh, probably close to two hundred fifty blogs at this point, or two, uh, posts. How many, how many posts in like you three know, years? I stopped counting at two hundred and seventy. Right. So I just say two hundred and seventy plus. That's amazing. Just amazing. And. Um, I just have to point this out because I, this is on the post you put in recently, where you know smart responses to stupid comments. We put something on the on our wall on Facebook two weeks ago, asking the crowd to submit the stupidest things people had ever said to them in person, and we read them on the air last week or two weeks ago, and I don't remember any of them, but they were the most ridiculous things possible. And the idea of having some sort of canned response to tell these idiots when they say things to you is just brilliant. Well, you know, over the years of getting so many stupid comments about cancer, I realized I can, you know, relive my angst each time somebody (laughs) says this to me and want to smack them and have a little mini internal meltdown while I'm trying to look composed, or I can just have this kind of canned elevator line that I know that feels true to myself and is going to educate them so hopefully they will not view their stupidity on the next cancer patient that comes along. So, you know, I really advocate that sit down and think about the stupid things that people say to you and what you would want to say back to them that's actually constructive. Right. Because people are still only going to want to hear what they think they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I I find that it's most satisfying for me when I walk away from a conversation like that really having made some contact with somebody because I think people say stupid things because they're either undereducated or they're nervous. And that if I can make an actual, I don't know, line of communication with them where we're both kind of being real and actually having a real conversation about things kind of dissipates the weirdness and um, makes it real. Exactly, exactly. So um, outside of... uh Blogging. I mean, how is your health? How how is the life? What is it? My, uh, my seven years actually, later. Yeah, I was diagnosed ten years ago. Ten years ago. Wow. And my health is really great. Um, I've still never been, you know, proclaimed cancer free. There are some little buggers hanging out in my neck still. Um, but I am beginning to learn how to move on um, from feeling every day when I wake up that I'm a cancer patient and. Um, Maybe I'm a slow learner. It only took me 10 years to figure that out. Um, but it is. it has been really joyous, and I think it is in part because I have had some good scans my last couple of scans. I think it's very hard living in the midst of nervousness um, and fear about health to kind of to totally move beyond this experience and kind of, you know, get rid of that 
cancer identity as a constant, you know, look in the mirror and here I am a cancer patient. So when do you think you actually moved beyond that, Carol? When did you reach the point where you thought, I'm not going to be just so cancer defined? Well, I think I'm still moving beyond it. Yeah. Um, I think part of it was after one of my one of my good checkups and often after a checkup I'm still anxious because you hold all this energy going into it, you know, it's like try to focus on something else. Don't think about the worst thing that can happen. Right. What is the worst thing that can happen? Now I'm thinking about it even though I said I wasn't gonna be thinking about it. And often I would feel that after an appointment I mean, I would just call my mom and break down on the phone. Even if it was good news, it was like, oh, all this angst that I've just been trying so hard to avoid feeling leading up to this scan is just kind of pouring out of me, and I feel like I've been run over by a truck, and, you know, I just kind of deflate. And after one of these pretty decent checkups, I thought, oh, my God, what a wasted opportunity. I am actually going to choose to be really happy about (laughs) this. You know, and... um, there, there is a world. There's a world beyond, and and I think I'm ready to take bigger bites of it. So I mean, a lot of it has has been really conscious, and um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't come easily, and it's not always the right time for somebody to move beyond cancer. And maybe it is today, but then a month from now, something happens, and you're you're back in the middle of it. But um, you know, I think defining those moments for yourself of when all right, it's safe to come out and play, you know, yeah. and enjoying that and trying to have more of those and then threading those moments together. So, Carol, when did you know that you first wanted to be very public in terms of writing about your illness and then help try to inform other young adult patients as well? Well, I I was trained as a choreographer, not as a writer. And after treatment, when I got back into the dance studio, I thought I am not going to make work about this cancer experience, and I just wanted a break from it. Yet, you know, everything that I was choreographing seemed to have, you know, everybody's moving across the stage in these, like, quite debilitated type of movements, and everybody was suddenly wearing... (laughs) What kind of dance were you trained in? You're creating, like, costumes that are, you know, blue gowns, and, you know, know, modern dance piece, and I was like, all right, cancer, cancer. And um, I started doing a lot of interviews, that's always been my process as a choreographer is kind of do oral history interviews. So I started interviewing a lot of young adults about cancer, trying to see if there were topics that I wanted to explore through dance. And I was really amazed with how candid people were in the stories that they were telling me. And I just thought, this is, you know, this has got to be a book. And most authors, you know, once you, you have an agent, you have a publisher, and then you finally write the manuscript and you turn your book in and you're done, most authors, I think, feel a tremendous sense of relief. Ah, they finished their manuscript. They finished their book. And for me, that sense of relief lasted for about 12 hours, maybe. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a workaholic. I think it's because I get really obsessive about the subject matters that I write about. And after spending five years, you know, just so immersed in the stories and the insights and the nitty-gritty of what people were telling me about their cancer experiences, I wasn't really ready to pack it up. You know, I felt like I felt naked without a keyboard in front of me, without writing. And it was like I had this other appendage that was a keyboard. So I decided to start blogging. I mean, it was the day after I turned in my manuscript. And it was just 
I was addicted to writing and thinking about this experience and trying to reflect on it in ways that maybe I hadn't heard other people speaking about it before. So that's when I started blogging. So the book came first and the blog came second. So let's talk about the book. I mean, I, I would love to compliment you to say there's not a single person out there that doesn't know about the book, but my goal is to make sure that everyone knows about as much as they need to, and, and the book has made heads turn. The book got a lot of attention. Thousands of copies were sent around the country. If not more, you would know the numbers, but talk about the book. So the book is called Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s. And I got a grant to travel around the country and conduct these really lengthy interviews with young adult cancer patients. And it was so cool. It was like going on, you know, 45 blind dates. You know, <laughs> except you're not in a bar. People are like, hi, who are you? Sit down on my bed next to me. Sit down on my couch. Sit down at my desk next to me in my office. Let's sit down on this park bench. So you, went, you had a good excuse to go bed hopping, it sounds like. I did. I went bed hopping. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and she was good. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Is this the kind of reputation that I have now? <laughs> who, who so, actually, just to back up, who gave you the grant for the book? You mentioned you got a grant. Yeah, actually, I got it through the city of Chicago. Um, they uh, have tremendous support for the arts and for artists here. And I was very familiar with getting grant work to make choreography. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to try to get a grant as a writer. And Smart. I had never been a writer prior to this book idea. So I guess I that's just a very to... smart smart way to go about it. Yeah, I, a lot I, of I writers wanted... out there killing should sell that mat. Sell, sell that proposal and get it get an advance, but mm-hmm. that was that was very smart. I would just really want to encourage people out there who want to write but think, oh, I'm not a writer or oh, I'm not an author. Before I started writing this book, I had never had anything published. Um, I had never considered myself a writer. I always kind of enjoyed writing for myself or the writing that I did in school. I was one of those like sadistic people who, when the teacher was like. 20-page paper is like, oh, come on, can't we make it 25? <laughs> you know, but I never considered myself a writer. And the other, really... the other way, of course, to look at it is if Snooky could write a book, anybody <laughs> could write a book. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of perseverance. It does. The publishing very industry is very competitive. But if you stick to it and you have an idea that is useful to other people and that you believe in, it really is possible to do things like get an agent and get a publisher and, you know, become an author. And I did that through writing about my cancer experience. Um, I'm totally self-taught as a writer. I learned everything I needed to learn about the publishing world by sitting down and reading books and going online. So and I think it was a really ripe experience for me coming out of treatment and feeling a little bit lost but having a lot of energy. And, I, you know, I was not in the mode to go to graduate school. My God, my, my memory sucks since radioactive iodine treatment and taking thyroid hormones. And the idea of – I think I it was a good match for me to do such a self-motivated independent project because – I wasn't comparing my brain power to anybody else's. I wasn't comparing my resume to anybody else's. I was like, I just have this idea, and I think I'm just going to hit the ground running by myself and and see what happens. And for me, that was really useful at that time when everybody else around me was kind of having all these milestones and their careers or graduating from awesome master's degree programs, and I was kind of like, 
you know, my diploma was like, just finished two rounds of radioactive iodine treatment. So <laughs> having having a very self-motivated independent project was really helpful for me. I remember meeting Carol for the first time in like the fall of 07. Is that when it was at that ad agency in Midtown? Yeah. I, well, a, I say yes, but I mean, at the time, calendar calendar scrambled in my head, but I right. do remember the ad agency and having a really amazing interview with you. Did Matthew throw himself at your legs and grab onto both of them and said, please put me in the book? Right. Please, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> no, because we, yeah. had, we had just won the Time Magazine thing, and the, website, the Stupid yeah. Cancer Show had launched in, like, May of that year, and, you know, there was no money. There was nothing. It was just, like, I was just like, I'll no, start wait, a nonprofit. there no, was no money? No twins. <laughs> <laughs> no, no kids, no nothing. So much has changed. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the economy was sucked and all that stuff. The economy sucked. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I just remember, like that was the time when I was very aggressive and had a very the different time you were very aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I can't win this conversation. It was yesterday. Everything <laughs> changes. <laughs> or not? No, I was I was just a little more brazen. I was a little more angry and edgy and with the PSA oh came out God. with the fingers and everything. <laughs> and I cuz I I actually picked up the book yesterday. Carol, you must be godlike. He was angrier <laughs> and edgier. Yes. And wow. and I re- I was reading my comments in the book last night. And I, I, I really wouldn't say the things I said back then you, today. You wouldn't say fuck the police anymore? <laughs> well, you know, that's that's a very big difference between blogging and writing a book, is that when you blog, you can always go back to your own blog. You can erase things that you wish you hadn't said. You can I don't regret anything. Right. I, that I re- shit's in black and white, Matthew. I regret, <laughs> so no taking it back. No, no, I regret nothing. I just think it's fascinating sort of insight into where because it really is it's like a snapshot of where I was personally, professionally, and the organization was in its infant in its infancy by reading that book and seeing what I was talking about. Q, your hero. I think that you know, for people who are listening and interested in starting their own blog, I think that that's a very useful part of blogging if you're writing a blog. For yourself, you know, and kind of as a journal or to hash out your own feelings is to see how where you are today is different than maybe where you were a month ago or where you were a year ago. And the reason why I called my book and my blog Everything Changes is because I was terrified that nothing would change. You know, I was terrified that the way that I felt going through treatment or the way that I felt, you know, the month after I was diagnosed was going to be how my life would feel forever and i had this mantra that i it's from this book called the Tao de jing um which is written by this you know, asian philosopher lao tzu from centuries and centuries ago and it was my Carol bathroom really smart. we have no was, idea what you just said <laughs> it was my bathroom reading it was my this is what a geek i am so like uh, i'm impressed that you can understand lao tzu because when i read it it just it doesn't make sense. That was James, by the way. Yeah, our that intern. was the intern trying to one up us. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is my bathroom reading during treatment, and you spent a lot. Of, I spent a lot of time in the toilet during treatment. I don't know if other people did or Little not. Little light bathroom reading. Uh huh. The one. Matthew the, reads Mad Magazine on the toilet. Uh, yeah. Well, the one phrase that really stood out to me was just everything changes, and I thought that is so true. Like, try to deny that is um, an unarguable fact about life. So as long as I'm alive, 
I know that everything is going to change, and I will not be stuck in this horrible moment forever. I actually could be in a worse moment, or I could be in a continuum of better moments. But everything does change, and um, I think it's important to keep that in mind when you're going through treatment and also after treatment. You know, it's life after treatment, like Emily was saying, is so hard and can be so confusing, and I think it's, you know, for me, the way that I got through and continue to get through everything is just that mantra of mine that everything changes. Did you ever go back to choreography and not choreograph things where people look like they were limping in hospital gowns? <laughs> <laughs> I I have not gone back to choreography at this point. Um, I dance around my house a lot. That counts. That counts. Yeah. Um, I do that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, I call actually, myself a choreographer. I have a pair of, of toe shoes that I put on every once in a while. I don't think my downstairs neighbor likes the sound of that very oh, that's much. That's hardcore. Lisa has a um, snuggie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have not been choreographing since I've got bitten by the, the book and the blog bug. It's yeah. just a funny, like I hear a hospital and choreography. All I think of is from the Simpsons movie, uh, the Betty Ford, the musical. <laughs> Anyone remember that scene? No, but I can visualize. Yeah. Yeah. Do you put on your Homer Simpson slippers and dance? Uh, I bought new slippers, but yes, I did have. I danced with my daughter in my Homer Simpson. You stand up on Homer's face and do some uh, pirouettes. It's good stuff, exactly. Well, I actually I do have some good choreography advice for people who are um, doing like barium swallows. Um, Because I remember being in the hospital and I had, you know, you drink the gunk that goes through your intestines and you get all the x-rays and the drill sergeants sitting there, you know, breathe in, breathe out, turn, turn, and they're taking a gajillion pictures of your guts. And and, um, there was a second part of it where I had to glug a whole new chug of disgusting barium-type liquid. And I was like, you know, how long is this half of the procedure going to take? And they said, the faster that this goes through your body, the easy, the, the quicker it will happen. I said, well, how do I get it to move fast? And they said, just move around. You know, some people mm-hmm. like to walk in the halls if you're able to. And right. I thought, move around. So I was on this long foyer, and I was, like, doing tourjetés and pirouettes for, like, 25 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> I am going to move this through my body. You know, and there were all these, like, techs and, you know, medical students and people, like, walking down the hall, watching me, like, twirl around in my gown, and I thought, I just, I really don't give a damn what these people think of me. I want to get the hell out of here. I, hear, I hear the banger boys in the background. <laughs> I was going to say, that could be a scene out of, like, Bridesmaids too. Right. <laughs> yes, you know, you, you guys are making cultural references from this century that I don't understand. <laughs> were the men in white coats yeah. not far behind you? <laughs> they probably weren't, but I, I, I was quick, so I got out before they could catch me. Well, what's the song that 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 I have in my head? Like we the do dance bus. The Venga Boys. Yeah. Venga Bus is coming. The Venga Bus. Yes. So let's before we wrap here because we're running out of time. Carol, tell us about on your blog. There's a lot of different topics that you touch upon, and some folks come to you with questions. And what have really been some hot-button topics that you've written about lately that have gotten a lot of feedback? Well, I think lately I've been writing a lot about and having guest bloggers write about parenting. Um, I think that's an area of the cancer world that can use a lot more attention. Agreed. Um, I find that the hot-button topics are always... I don't know. I don't really mince words too much, so I'm a bit, you know, what's on my mind, I say what's on my mind. So I find that the hot-button topics are the ones where I just, like, really go to things that 
I find perplexing, irritating, or I can't find the answer to myself, or I'm so curious what other people think of. And so one of my most all-time popular blog posts was the one called, it was called, Do You Like Being Called Strong? And I do not like being called strong because I feel like, you know, I've surmounted all of the challenges of cancer, not because I'm strong, but because the alternative means dying. Right, you know? right. You <laughs> don't have to. Yeah. You know, people would talk to me and say, you know, you're so strong or you're so inspirational or you're so courageous. And I would think, you know, I have no other choice. Yeah, that's a um, good point. And people had such an emotional reaction to this question. And one thing that I really loved, this was um, also a post that I did for the New York Times. And it got so many comments, both on the New York Times and on my blog. And I loved that there were people who had the exact opposite response to mine, where for them, being called strong really was their lifeline, and it was their sense of hope and brought them a sense of of pride. And for me, blogging is just as much about the conversation as it is about writing the post. I want to write posts that are going to elicit conversation between readers and the comment section. And I learn so much through blogging because people comment on my blog and they share perspectives that are very different from my own. And, you know, in that way, I kind of feel like it's really, it's really great to be able to sit in my pajamas at my laptop and reach out to other people and learn about their experiences. I don't have to be, always be on the road with a tape recorder in my hand to, you know, there are some controversy and have people tell me they're full of it or that they completely agree with me or, hey, have you thought about this perspective? And so for me, blogging is really about starting dialogue and, and conversations, and I, I, I love um, getting comments on my blogs. And I, think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great point, too, particularly in using that as an example because it's so nuanced, I think, what you go through emotionally when you have a cancer diagnosis that to write about something like that, it doesn't have to be about health care or doesn't have to be about a particular, you know, the big obvious issues that stir everybody up, but something as simple as the word strong to elicit that range of response is fascinating because it's true, whether it's, you know, fuck strong, I want to be weak, you know, <laughs> I'm tired of being strong, or whatever it is, or there's no alternative, like you say. It's fascinating to me how nuanced uh, it is to have a diagnosis like that where one word like that can trigger such a, such a dialogue and, and sort of uncovering things like that that you do, I think it's just, it's so important for everybody. I I know that for myself, there were a world of thoughts that accompanied cancer that were beyond the daily routine of, you know, arriving at the hospital, going through checkups, going through treatment, getting blood drawn. I feel like there are so many incredible blogs out there by patients with such different diagnoses. You can go online and find somebody with your diagnosis who's going through your exact kind of treatment and read what the blow-by-blow of their experience is and find commonality in that. And I decided that I actually didn't want to write a blog like that because I had already lived my cancer experience. I didn't want to have to like go back to the hospital again in my mind after I had gone there that day. You know, I didn't really want to relive the blow-by-blow of my cancer experience and really consciously decided to not have my blog be a journal, um, but to more take on these themes and topics that are often racing through my head that are more about reflecting upon the cancer experience 
And also, I love doing research, and I love writing blog posts that are very um, tips-oriented, you know, with useful tips, things like how can you get your doctors to reduce your medical bills, or how can you get your medical records for free, or how to um, engage with a nurse when they're not giving you what you want. So I kind of like to strike a balance between these posts that are sort of more uh, emotional reactions to cancer and... And practical. And practical. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're just about out of time, but I wanted to ask you one last question, which is what's next for Cal Rosenthal? And for the sake of our listeners out there, uh, can you just talk about... Uh, tell us your website again and how people can get a hold of your book. Sure. So my website is everythingchangesbook.com. And that's where my blog is. You can order my book there through, you know, Amazon, Powell's, um, Barnes & Noble. And you can also get it, you know, in any bookstore. Um, if it's sold off the shelf, then that makes me happy. But then you just ask them to restock it, and they will. Um, so any any bookstore will, will be able to carry it. And the book is Everything Changes, The Insider's Guide to Cancer in Your 20s and 30s. Well, there you go. Yeah. And you'll keep on blogging for us. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on blogging, and I've got some new writing projects on the horizon, but I like to be secretive about them oh. because, you know, this is one thing that I think is actually kind of important for me as a writer is that I think it's important when you're writing, whether it's a blog or a book, you don't have to give everything away. You don't have to include like every part of your personal life in what you're writing about. So that's sort of what the difference is between writing a a blog or a journal that is like a journal versus writing for a a wider audience and a broader public. So I find that sometimes my thoughts are better when I keep it to myself for a while and then, bam. Good to have (laughs) some mystery about you. (laughs) Draws the people in even more. I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted. Please do, Carol. I hope you keep on visiting the blog, and I think that... What you guys are doing continues to be fabulous. You helped set the stage. Yes, you did, Carol. Well, thanks for having me back. It's really fun to be a guest. All right, Carol. Take care. Give my best to everybody out there. I Carol will Rosenthal, so. everybody. The one and only Carol Rosenthal. All right, folks. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. We're changing it up for the... Wow, that's new. (laughs) Dominic the donkey. I like it. All right, everybody. The Italian Christmas donkey. Really? Yeah. Part Italian. I don't know Dominic. Yeah. Clearly, I've been missing out. Must be a Brooklyn thing. My family's in Brooklyn. My Italian family's in Brooklyn. I'm kidding. Anyway, that's tonight's show. Dominic, Dominic the Donkey taking us out. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank Mr. Kenny Kane, James Manning, for being live in studio. I am alive in the studio. Thank you. Fairly. <laughs> Fairly. And uh, Pam Cromwell, Emily Cousins, and Carol Rosendahl for being our guests here on the next to last show of the season. Wow. All right, next week's a big one. We have Wendell Potter. 
He's the former head of corporate communications at Sigma, turned insurance industry whistleblower. He testified in front of Senate, and he wrote the book Deadly Spin, an insurance company insider, speaks out on how corporate PR is killing health care and deceiving Americans. He's been all over the place, Bill Moyers, all over the news, and now he's coming on the Stupid Cancer Show. That's right. He's also going to be at the OMG Summit. Anyway, he's on the show with us next week, and he's also the senior analyst of the Center for Public Integrity. In the spotlight, Laz Rapstrong. That's right, Laz Rapstrong, two-time cancer survivor, CEO, founder of Rapstrong Records. He's a hip-hop artist and TV producer of musical therapy. We'll find out what he's all about next week. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck. On behalf of Lisa Bernhard, myself, and the whole team here at the and Stupid Dominic Cancer the Show. And Dominic the Donkey. Have a great week, and we are going to conclude with one quick quote here to cap off. Christmas since Bing Crosby tap dance with Danny fucking K. And when Santa squeezes his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's gonna find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. That's it, folks. Have a great week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>